So let me introduce this new theme in 3 Nephi 23. Would you turn there? 3 Nephi chapter 23 follows 22 where Jesus just quoted a whole bunch of Isaiah, which is fascinating if you think about it. Jesus quotes Isaiah. Who inspired Isaiah's writings? And now he's quoting Isaiah. It's almost as if he said, boy, I really like how he worded it. So I'm going to quote it. What a tribute to Isaiah, right? So then in chapter 23, this is now the Savior commenting on the words of Isaiah that he quoted in chapter 22. And this is where he says, great are the words of Isaiah, right? But turn to verse 3. Boy, these verses scream out to me. And if you're not careful, you're going to pass right over them. Why should we study the words of Isaiah? According to the Savior, everything that Isaiah wrote, finish the phrase, has been and shall be. How can something has been and shall be? And when I finally caught on to that verse, it dawned on me that Heavenly Father is a God of patterns. He is a God of patterns. And the very, very best way to know what shall be is how? To look at what has been. He repeats over and over again. If you want to know what shall be, Look at what has been. So with that in mind, we know more about the second coming than you could possibly dream because of what has been, not because we have all these prophecies about what shall be. The very best way to understand the future is to not look forward. It's to look in the past and say, where are the patterns that show us what shall be based on what has been. Now, there are a lot in the Bible. There's a lot in the Old Testament. For example, the second coming will be very much like a time period where the world had to be warned and sent plague after plague after plague, and finally they, they released the righteous. So what Old Testament time period is like the second coming? There you go. The plagues that are coming in our day are similar to the plagues that came in his day. There's a pattern. The world is going to be destroyed. And so every city that's ever been destroyed is a pattern of the destruction of the world. Can you name a city that's been destroyed? Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a pattern. Now, we don't have a lot there. So name a city where we have a lot of information. The Book of Mormon, there was a city that was destroyed. Zarahemla was destroyed in 3 Nephi. There's a pattern. Ammoniah was destroyed. There's a pattern. If the earth is going to be destroyed, all we have to do is look back and find patterns of destroyed cities. Now, let's talk about the destruction of the Savior's coming in America. Now, in, New, in the New Testament, in Jerusalem, he came as a baby that grew up and they missed him because he was just one of them. Did he grow up in America? Is that how he came to America? Tell me how he came to America. Thunderous, cleansing, descended from the sky. Now, does that sound familiar? 
Can you name a time where he's going to come following destruction, cleansing, and descending from the sky? Boom. Now some bells should be going off. Jesus is coming in the Book of Mormon the first time is like his second coming. Let me show you the pattern. Turn with me to 3 Nephi chapter 1. Let's see if we can break this down into some interesting stages. So we start with what event in 3 Nephi chapter 1? What is the major event that preceded his coming? Forewarned, Samuel the Lamanite stood up on the wall and said it was going to happen. What was the event that preceded his coming? It was a great sign. Not a little star up in the heavens. A massive sign that no one missed. The sun went down and it didn't get dark. And odds are, if we read Zechariah, Old Testament, correctly, that's probably going to be the great sign in our day. Before Jesus comes, the sun is going to go down and it will not get dark and everyone will know. That's an appropriate sign of Jesus coming into the world. Light when there should be darkness. What was the sign of his death? Darkness when there should be light. So when Jesus comes into the world, it's a very appropriate sign. But there will be a great sign. And then... There was silence for 33 years between his birth and his death. In America, there was silence. And once again, there will be silence. Then what happened next? So this is 3 Nephi 1. This is 3 Nephi 2 through 7. Now go to chapter 8. What is the event of chapter 8, 3 Nephi 8. Says what, Holden? Massive destruction. A cleansing of the earth. So, destruction. Now, someday in another class, we'll talk about why the earth needs to be cleansed. Let's save that for another day. Katie. Sorry, I'm not familiar with my Book of Mormon stories. What do you mean by silence? Nothing happened. As far as heaven talking and heaven warning and heaven giving, you know, as far as, I mean, tell me heaven didn't say something pretty loud here. And tell me heaven isn't saying something pretty loud here. And between the two, guess what? Now, I think there's a reason, right? Hey, the earth's going to be destroyed. The earth's going to be destroyed. Would you start the destruction right after the last voice? No, what would you do? Do you remember when your mom said, you do that again, you're going to time out. And then what would she do? She'd wait. And so the Lord warns, and then he waits. And then comes the destruction. Massive destruction all over. And then, so this is 3 Nephi 8. And then he kind of talks to them in 9 and 10. Now go to chapter 11. What happens in 3 Nephi 11? 3 Nephi 11. The Savior. And then 3 Nephi 11 
through 4th Nephi. 200 years of peace. And then 4th Nephi, how does 4th Nephi end? War. That's 3rd Nephi, right? Great sign. Silence. Destruction. Savior appears. A long period of peace, followed by war. Why are you smiling, James? That is the exact same pattern of the second coming. Let me show you. Turn to section 88. Doctrine and Covenants section 88 says we will start with... Oh, Ashley said, yes, love her. I was good friends with her older brother, Jake. Okay, third or Doctrine and Covenants, 88. Now, speaking of the second coming and the latter days and the signs of the times, we're just going to jump right to the end. And let's go to 93. 93. In our day, what will kick off the second coming? The sixth, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, the sixth seal ends and the seventh seal opens with a great sign. So the Lord says in section, in verse 93, and immediately there shall appear a great sign in heaven and all people shall see it together. If it's that big that no one misses it, it's got to be something like the sun going down and there's no darkness anywhere on the planet. That would catch everyone's attention, right? Now, if the pattern holds true, will the prophet have announced when the sign was going to be given? Will the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have proclaimed to everyone that a sign is coming? And then the sign comes. Samuel the Lamanite said, in five years, in five years, and when they got close, what did they start to do? We're going to put to death everyone who believes. And then the sign was given. Similar pattern. James? So, but also up in, from like Samuel to the sign being given, there were many signs in between. Yeah. And they kind of became, it became normal. It was just like, oh. They minimized it. Cool. Like, and that's it. And hence, what do you think the purpose of the silence is? Let's see. Let's see what happens. So notice verse 95. What happens in verse 95? Section 88, verse 93, there's going to be a great sign. And then verse 95, silence in heaven while we just sit back and wait. Because what happens immediately after a great sign? None of you remember 9-11. But after 9-11, everyone in the country was humbled and submissive, and church attendance shot up, and every other country. It was the only day they have not played England's national anthem in England. You know what they played that day? The Star-Spangled Banner. There was an immediate outpouring, and then after a while, it faded. And I think that's what the Lord's doing. Great sign, and then silence. We know destruction's coming, right? And what will follow the destruction? The Savior will appear. 
followed by a thousand years of peace. And does anyone know how the millennium ends? We won't take the time to go through the scriptures, but does anyone know how the, the millennium ends? War. It's called the Battle of Gog and Magog, where Satan is released and there's one last battle. In other words, the second coming is exactly like his first coming in the Book of Mormon. Now, as of right now, I think that's kind of, hmm, that's interesting. Wow, that's kind of cool. Until we take the next step. If the events of the second coming are like the events of the first coming in America, could we push that and say the events that preceded it are like the events of the Book of Mormon? That's where we're going. And the brilliance of the Book of Mormon is the days that preceded this are like the days that precede the second coming. Now, this is the Church of Jesus Christ of latter. Why would you use the word latter? As if you're emphasizing what? We come first. We come before something. This is the church before something. Not the last days, not the end. We're the latter day saints. And so our ears ought to perk up at the thought that the days before the first coming in America are like the days before the second coming. Therefore, what book are we living in? The book of Helaman. That is astounding to think that the Book of Mormon was so put together to say, I'll tell you what life's going to be like before the second coming. You don't need to be scared. I'll tell you exactly what life is going to be like before the great sign is given. And then he gives us the book of Helaman. You remember reading the book of Helaman? Tell me you've read the book of Helaman. What's Helaman like? I have never met a Latter-day Saint who, before they knew this, said that Helaman was their favorite book. Because why? Helaman, Holden. Seventeen times in two months. When I caught this, when I caught this, oh my goodness, my attention. I read, seven, I read the book of Helaman 17 times in two months. Because I was like, oh, I can't believe that. I can't put this book down. I even read it one time backwards. I started with the last chapter and read them in reverse order to see if I was just not seeing something. And Helaman has become one of my absolute favorite books. But before I understood this, what are the chances I would have said that Helaman was my favorite book? No way. Why? Helaman is a mess. And then you've got Jesus in 3rd Nephi. I love the Stripling Warriors. I love the war chapters. I love Alma the Younger. I love Alma the Younger's preachings. And then you've got the book of Helaman with 
secret combinations and war and... But then all of a sudden when you realize, wait a minute, if this book is really trying to say, those of you who live in the latter days, as in the times that come before, here is the greatest commentary on your days. And then all of a sudden, the value of the book of Helaman is immeasurable. And that is my testimony to you, that the book was so molded as to say, here is what you will have to deal with. The challenges they faced in Helaman are the challenges you will face prior to the second coming. Now tell me what the book of Helaman does. It's, it's frustrating because it presents all these challenges, but then guess what it does? It solves every one of the challenges. There's a lot of problems that are all solved. Now tell me what the book's doing then. These aren't Helaman problems. These are latter-day problems, and here are latter-day solutions. So... We're going to tackle these. <clears throat> Ordinarily, I would pause and say, go read the book of Helaman and come back and tell me what the problems were. We don't have time for that. So I'm going to fast forward and say, what are the problems that they had in the book of Helaman? So we have secret combinations. And the, com the, the commentary is that one of the biggest challenges in our day is going to be secret combinations. That you will deal with secret combinations. Now, when I say secret combinations, what image comes to mind? What's the image of Helaman? Bad guys killing government leaders to control the government and run it their way. And maybe that's coming. But our day, I think, is a little bit different than the actual secret combinations they faced. I'm going to scare you. And we're not going to have time for me to I'm going to tear you down, and then we don't have time for me to build you back up. And I hate doing that. Normally, when I tear you down, I want to be able to build you right back up. I'm not going to be able to. So promise me you won't be scared for a week. Promise me you'll know that there's a great solution and that everything's going to be great. The whole reason we're doing this is to say, right there's the solution. This is the solution. But if we're going to talk I'm about sure secret... If we're going to talk about secret combinations... I need to point out something scary. Turn with me to the other book in the Book of Mormon that talks about secret combinations. Can you name it? Ether and the Jaredites were destroyed by secret combinations. Actually, before we do that, go to Helaman chapter 2. End of chapter 2. The last two verses of Helaman 2 say what? The last two verses say, Amanda, do you mind? Helaman 2, last two verses. And behold, in the end of this book, you shall see that this Gadianton did, did prove to overthrow, gain almost the entire destruction of the people of Nephi. 
Behold, I do not mean the end of the book of Philemon, but I mean the end of the book of Nephi, from which I have taken all the account which I have written. Okay, so two peoples were destroyed by secret combinations, right? So this, in the end of this book, you will see that they proved the entire destruction of the Nephites. So the, the Jaredites were destroyed by secret combinations. The Nephites were destroyed by secret combinations. And well, who's next? Who's next to possess America? Yes. We will be destroyed by secret combinations. That's the prophecy. But notice I've been saying secret combinations. Let me show you a scary prophecy. And maybe I'm reading too much into this. I don't know. As of right now, there is no commentary. Turn to Ether, the other book that talks about secret combinations in the Book of Mormon. Ether chapter 8 is where Omer is king and his son Jared wants to be king. So Jared hires his daughter to dance for and Achish and you get the whole story. Achish wants his daughter, so he says, you can have my daughter if you kill my dad and make me king, and that's such a lovely son. You can have my daughter if you kill my dad and make me king. But that's what happens, and they form a secret combination. The first, look at verse 18, and it came to pass that they formed a secret combination. Now, verse 21, we saw Helaman 2, right? Moroni, so who wrote Helaman 2? Who wrote Helaman 2? Mormon, right? Who wrote Ether 8? Moroni, his son, years later. Moroni says in verse 21, not only have secret combinations caused the destruction of the Nephites, but what does he say in verse 21? They caused the destruction of the Jaredites. Are you paying attention, people? Two nations have been destroyed by secret combinations. Verse 22, and whatever nation shall uphold such secret combinations to get power and gain until they spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed. O ye Gentiles, it's wisdom that you know this because you're next. <laughs> you're going to be destroyed. And he pleads with us in verse 23, suffer not that these murderous combinations shall get above you. In fact, verse 24, notice that was murderous combinations, plural, right? Don't let these murderous combinations, pointing in the back, pointing backwards, don't let these murderous combinations get to you. But notice what he does in 24. Wherefore the Lord commanded you, when ye shall see these things, come among you that you shall awake to a sense of your awful situation because of what did he just do this secret combination and then from then on out what does he say what's what's the word not them but it a Secret combination. A secret combination. Not secret combinations. You Gentiles will struggle with a secret combination. Book of Mormon says one. Now, 
in our scriptures today, modern day scriptures for our day, how many secret combinations has the Lord called out? Hmm. I'm sorry, but my brain says, hmm. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I'll admit I might be wrong, but the Lord, as I study the scriptures, has called out one secret combination in our day. He deliberately called them out. And the Book of Mormon says, watch out for this secret combination. For me, that's not a coincidence. So allow me to present that one. I will present the antidote to all secret combinations, but I want to talk about that one. Okay, you see where we're going? Don't be scared, see? Don't be scared, because we're going to build it. You're going to come back next week, or whenever we do this, I'm going to let you guys choose the order. Whenever we do secret combinations, you're going to sit in that same chair and say, oh, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Bring it on. Sharp rocks at the bottom, bring it on. Okay, name another challenge they face in Helaman. There is no question. Let's do this one first. The Lamanites attack, and something happens in Helaman that never happened in Alma. When, into the, you know, remember we talked about they made two mistakes and let the Lamanites in the front door? Which cities did they conquer? They, sit, they conquered the cities on the coast. Which city was never conquered in the book of Alma? Zarahemla. Which city gets conquered twice in the book of Helaman? Zarahemla. So where did we keep the enemy in Alma? At the coast, at the edge. Where did the enemy get in Helaman? The heart. Now again, I'm a pattern hunter. If that's a pattern, what are the wars of the latter days? Wars not of land and conquest. Wars of the heart. War is coming where in our day? Into the heart. Now, just an interesting prophecy. Turn to section 87 of the Doctrine and Covenants where Joseph Smith makes a prophecy of war. Doctrine and Covenants 87. We were just in 88, so you should be able to flip back. Now, this first part is obvious. Verse 4, the southern states shall be divided against the northern states, and the southern states shall call upon other nations, even Great Britain. What war is that? That's a no-brainer, right? Joseph Smith in 1832 is predicting the Civil War, which begins in the 1860s. Joseph predicted the Civil War. But look at verse 4. No, let's finish verse 3. From the Civil War, war would be poured out upon all nations. Did the Civil War extend to the whole world? Did not. So we can't be talking about the same single war. We have to be talking about war in general. Now look at verse 4. Did that ever happen in the Civil War? 
Did slaves ever rise up and fight against their masters in the Civil War? No. Civil War would have been over if that had happened, right? That didn't happen. I think that verse is a continuation of Helaman. What kind of wars are we going to fight? Wars where slaves rise up and attack their masters. Wars of oppression. Wars of the little guy getting sick of it and fighting off the big guy. Tell me what's happening right now in the United States with race. Those who were slaves in the past are doing what? They're rising up against those who enslaved them. That is a war of the heart. We are fighting wars of the heart. Race is a war of the heart. Gender is a war of the heart. We are fighting wars of the heart. Now, some of them are negative and some of them are positive. Women are rising up to say what? In our day, women are rising up and saying what? Don't put us down. For millennia, you have put us down. And women are rising up and saying, don't put us down. I'm not saying they're all bad. A lot of this fighting is good. But do you see the wars we're contending with? What kind of wars have you lived to see? Is our physical country threatened to be conquered by another nation? No. But what is happening in our country? All over. We are fighting wars of the heart. Tell me what's happening in Russia and almost every country. It's a war of the heart. What's happening in Ukraine? It's a war of the heart. Now, interesting, the only time Jesus ever spoke about the second coming is the Tuesday night of his last week. He took his disciples out to the Mount of Olives and he gave what is now known as the Olivet Sermon, which is Joseph Smith Matthew. We study the second coming in Joseph Smith Matthew. I want to point out Mark's version of that sermon. When Mark heard or when Mark reported what Jesus said about the wars of the latter days, he threw something very fascinating in. Turn to Mark chapter 13. New Testament, Mark 13. It's fascinating that Mark would mention this. Mark 13, verse 12. Mark's description of the wars of our day include... Who will read it? Mark 13, 12. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall raise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. What does that sound like? Not wars of conquest. Wars of the heart. I hear Helaman screaming out, the book of Helaman, screaming out, saying, in the latter days, you will have to fight wars 
of the heart. And hence the symbolism is they get all the way to Zarahemla twice in Helaman. Twice they get to Zarahemla. They come right to the heart. Now, does that war end? They do something in Helaman that never happened in Alma. Did Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni end the hostility between Nephites and Lamanites? No, and you could almost argue they increased it, right? By converting a group of the Lamanites, what did the other Lamanites do? They got ticked off and went and attacked Ammoniah. So did, in the book of Alma, did we end the war between Nephites and Lamanites? No. Did the war between Nephites and Lamanites end in Helaman? Yes. We end the war. We no longer fight. So does the Book of Mormon have the solution to wars of the heart? You see, there's the bad. We'll talk about the good. But when, they, when the war ended, what does that now do? Go to Helaman chapter 6. Once the war ends, okay, Helaman chapter 6. Ah, we're in ether. Let's go back to Helaman 6. Once the war ends, what are they then able to do? Look at verse 7 and 8. When there's no more war between Nephites and Lamanites, now what happens? What can we do now that we're not fighting each other? Now that we're not enemies? We can trade, we can sell. Nephites now just opened up how many customers for their jewelry, for their goods? They're going to go sell to the Lamanites, right? Look at verse 7. No, verse 8. It came to pass that the Lamanites did go whithersoever they would, whether it was among the Nephites, the Lamanites or the Nephites, and thus they did have free intercourse with one another to buy and to sell and to get gain. So now what's that going to lead to? Verse 9. Cha-ching! The ending of the war leads to the next problem. And that is pride. Your problem, if I read the book of Helaman correctly, your problem is not going to be scarcity. You will not have a world with low supplies and everyone fighting for them. The world you live in is what world? A world of abundance. A world of prosperity. And your biggest danger will be pride. Are the answers to pride in the Book of Mormon? Now, do you see what this book just did? Those of you living in the latter days have three. We, won't, we could talk about more, but we're going to focus on three. Have three major challenges. Secret combination. Wars of the heart. And prosperity. And pride. Now, this book has the solutions. If you do not come back to this class, you will not know what the solutions are. So come back next week. We will end there. There's no way we have time to start anything else. We got 10 minutes, so we'll just pause there.
But I want to leave you with my t testimony. Don't walk away nervous or scared or worried. I want to walk away. Anytime we talk about the second coming, I need to leave you with a promise. Turn with me to section 29 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, sometimes we read verse 16, right? Have you ever read Helaman or Doctrine and Covenants 2916? What does it say in 2916? I don't want to read this verse. Can I skip this verse? Can I rip that verse out of my scriptures? What does it say? Oh, a great hailstorm is going to destroy the crops of the earth. Yay, can't wait for that. Woohoo! Or we read sometimes uh, verse 18, flies and maggots eating their flesh. And you get scared of the future. No, you need to go back to verse 8. Don't ever read anything in section 29 until you have read 8, verse 8, a thousand times. If you gather to Zion, if you gather to Zion, give me the verbiage in verse 8. If you gather to Zion, if you heed the warning the Book of Mormon is going to teach you, if you find the solutions to the problems in the Book of Mormon and live them, just like the stripling warriors we saw last week, if you become a stripling warrior, your preservation will be miraculous. If you gather to Zion, what's the promise in verse 8? You will be prepared. What does it say? In all things against the day when wrath and tribulation. Why do you need not to worry about the flies and the maggots and the hailstorm? What did Joseph do in Egypt knowing there was, quote, a massive hailstorm coming? What did Joseph do in Egypt? Seven good years, followed by seven bad years. Why don't you need to worry about a great hailstorm? because we're gonna have seven good years and the prophet's gonna say, get ready, and we're gonna store up and we're gonna be fine. And you know why you don't need to worry? Because you're not gonna be living in the middle of it. You're going to be living in Zion. And you will be prepared in all things for whatever comes. Now, part of that preparation, my testimony, my, part, of that pres, pres, part of that preparation is to know the solutions to the problems of your day. You need to know the solutions to secret combinations, to wars of the heart, to prosperity and pain and pride. And when you know those solutions and you live them and you do your very best because you're not perfect and you never will be, but you do your very best and you ask for Heavenly Father's help and you stay close to the Spirit as close as you can, you will be prepared in all things for everything that's coming. When did they know that the sign was coming? Five years before it came. When did Noah know that the rain was coming? I promise you, you will be prepared if you listen. But what I want to do over the next now, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to, if we're going this slow, we're not going to get to topic number three because we only got, what, six weeks left? And we've got to do all that. 
So we won't get to topic number three. Save that for another class. But what I want to do over the next several classes is walk you through the problem and the solution so that your confidence in the future is sky high. You have not been born at a better time to be alive than this one. Every other generation is going to consider all of you lucky. I promise. What a wonderful time to be alive. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.